I want to welcome you to the Pro Mindset Podcast. The Pro Mindset Podcast is all about diving into the headspace that results in championship performance. High-performing athletes, winners, have this mental flow and have a positive headspace for their performances and success. Join me, Craig Doman, sports attorney and NFL agent, on this podcast. I will interview pro athletes, college athletes, football coaches, and sports personalities. Together, we can discover how you can get in the flow and have your own pro mindset. Today on Pro Mindset, I want to welcome a guest, a sports psychologist, a mental trainer, Mario Soto. Mario, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be somewhat relevant, I think, (laughs) and have people interested in what it is that I do. Well, what you do is probably one of the most important things in competition. It's just not noticed until somebody has a problem. Boy, there's a lot of truth to that. When I, you know, when I do group lectures or when I talk to larger audiences, I try and encourage, especially coaches, to get ahead of the curve and be proactive rather than reactive. Because sports psychology, in a way, could serve those people who are already really good at what they do. I mean, especially if you look at the world of the pro athlete, they've already shown that they're special, that they are disciplined, that they have a series of routines and talent and a formula that has given them quite a level of success. And so once you get to the top of the mountain, I use this pyramid analogy, there's not a whole lot of room for people up at the top. You have to work sometimes harder to stay balanced and to keep yourself there. And so why not now work smarter and use the same skills or information from someone like myself, or at least in the discipline of sports psychology, to maintain that edge? It's what the great ones certainly do. No doubt about it. So for those people listening, where can they find you? But I'm on all forms of social media under Mario Sports Doc or Mario Soto. My website's MarioSotoSoto.com. Okay, so I'm just going to call you Coach Mario for the moment. Lovely. So you coach coaches, and you coach coaches on how to coach athletes. And that's one of the topics that you lecture around the country on. What are the secrets and what are the key elements of that message? So to answer your question, coaches like athletes, we all have an ego. And so the challenge of learning how to, I use the term beast, learn how to make friends with the beast, but know that when that beast is out of the cage, it's a wild creature. And you have to put a leash on it. You have to make friends with it because a beast running out wild is dangerous. And that's what our ego can be. And if you're a coach and you're going to be really good at it, sure, you want to win. There's nobody who puts on a uniform or a cap or steps onto a field of play. And this is regardless of the field or the sport, who wants to do poorly. So that's where ego can kind of come in and pride can come in and it can be a good thing. But if you let it lead you, well, then you're forgetting what the most important thing is. And that is to lead, that is to teach, that is to bring the talent up. And sometimes it's to inspire. Because if you're at the pro level, you're already surrounded with some pretty special talented people. If you're at the high collegiate level, you, again, are blessed to probably have some pretty talented people who in a year or a couple of years just might be getting paid to do the same thing that they're doing under you. So what is the greatest job you have? I know at the college level, college coaches say, I love doing what I'm paid to do. The problem is I'm also paid to do all this administrative stuff. And that takes up way too much of my time. So when I'm here, 
I need to be here. I need to be present so that I can really coach. And then I need to remind myself, am I coaching one or am I coaching everyone? And am I evolving my message so that I learn that every one of my players is uniquely individual, wired uniquely. There may be similarities, but they're different. And so I need to coach to their ability. I need to adjust and alter my message so that it resonates to that person. John Wooden had that great saying, they don't know what you know or care about what you have to say until they know that you care about them. Exactly. So it can't just always be about the scoreboard. It cannot be about the wins. If it is, you're going to hit a wall. I know many great coaches who ended up getting fired or leaving their environment to go to another place because their voice got old. Their voice was lost. They lost the kids. Well, whose fault is that? Is that because the kids are different? Because every generation, let's face it, this is different. You have Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z, Millennial. It is our job to learn how to be flexible and adapt and adjust to our audience, to our players, as it is on the players to adapt and adjust to the game. So like parenting, we better learn that there are phases and periods that up to age five, then 10, then 12, adolescence, where they're going to be tuning into a different frequency. And if we don't recognize that, boy, your kids are going to give you that zombie look. And for those of us who are parents, you guys get exactly what I'm talking about. You lose them. Let me interject something here. Yes, please. So in a university, you have a five to six-year age difference between the true freshman mm. and the redshirt seniors. Correct. And so that's between like 17 on the young side to 23 on the old side. So it's really about six years potentially. Yes. And you also have guys that walk in the stadium, walk in the locker room for the first time, and they're hinging on every word the coach says. <laughs> yes. They're like Bambies. They're listening to everything. They're, they're very alert. And then you got the redshirt seniors, 22, 23-year-olds, they've heard it before. But I think the thing that coaches have to understand is that, like you said, you're speaking to an audience that are in a different phase of life, a different phase of their career. And you have some guys that are going into the redshirt senior year, they're thinking about going pro or they're yes. thinking about getting a resume together to get a real job. Yes. And they're not going to be as attentive about the small details because they've heard it before. And just like kids tune out their parents, players tune out their coaches. And so as a coach, I don't think you can use the same love language, so to speak, mm -hmm. with all three of those groups, the guys on the edges and the guys in the middle. No. However, you've hopefully developed a relationship with them, and you've hopefully established a level of credibility within your program so that now there is a leadership pyramid where the upperclassmen know their role. It is to pass on some of the traditions. It is to lead by example. And also, in embracing that philosophy, it's helping them get as best prepared as possible for the next chapter in their life. And that part that's the onus that coaches have to take on. That's where you get your hands dirty and you understand the power of creating a mission statement. And in the business, it's a business philosophy. And knowing what your hot buttons are, you're answering the question of your why, which for me is a huge exercise that has to be done with any group or population I work with, coaches as well as players. And make sure that it is in line, in sync with what you want to do with this program, what your legacy is. 
And again, if it's all about the wins, uh, okay, some of you might be successful. I had the privilege of having a couple sessions and conversations with Tim Grover, Michael Jordan's great trainer and been featured on the Last Dance series that ESPN showed when we were all starving for sports. He talks about the monster, which for me, I refer to as the beast. And you've got to be willing to politically correct. You've got to be okay with being somewhat of a butthead, somewhat of an asshole. And there's some truth to that, especially the higher up the performance pyramid that you want to go. However, in the realm of coaches, look at the Nick Sabans, look at the Dabo Sweeney's, look at the John Savage, UCLA baseball. You see there's patterns that are there. They still care about the individual. And so the sacrifice that they make, the, the imbalance, if you will, becomes at the expense of maybe family or the expense of not being able to spend time at watching their daughter's volleyball game. Every year, you've got to look at who you are, what you want to represent, and then ask yourself, am I willing to do this at the expense of this? I think that same message becomes then marinated, if you will, a drip, drip into the players because then it becomes part of the culture. As you know, even in today's world, we're seeing culture is, is really hard to change. It's in our genes. It's in our DNA. It's part of who we are. But if you embrace that challenge and you get everyone to buy in, now you can move mountains. But you have to be consistent. So know who you are. Know why you're there. And it isn't about me. It isn't about the individual you. It is about the people that you are impacting. And if you can really immerse yourself in that, then as a coach, you're going to be successful. Because you can have the worst season and have the greatest of experiences. You can have the bad news bears of players and absolutely love them and go to war with them every year. You want to win for them, but you know it's not about the wins. That's when coaching becomes something that changes the molecules in your body. And I think every coach gets that. The good ones do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, true, true. And for me, it's what puts air in my tires every morning because in many ways I am a coach. There's nothing greater than to see someone's success. Success is not defined for me by wins. It's having the breakthrough moments, it's those aha moments, or seeing the growth in the human being. That, for me, is as, as important as anything. But if I'm getting paid by a high-level client, like who's a high-profile person, then I also know, okay, listen, you're either winning and you're getting paid, or you're going to get fired. That's the reality of working with a certain population of performance. Any professional sport or any amateur sport that's treated like a professional sport, that is the case. Yes. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Listen, who wants to be surrounded by people who are lazy and don't care? I've been blessed to have been doing this a long time. And I call people out, even in the screening interview, when they're sitting in my chair or it's a phone call and they're asking, hey, Coach Martin, we'd like to talk to you and interview you. And I say, all right, great. Let's down because we're going to interview each other. And sometimes they'll throw them off. But I tell them, I said, listen, I'm at a place in my life where I've been blessed, uh, but I've worked my ass off to get here. And I don't need your money, but I'm going to earn it. And I don't say yes to everyone. Why? Because I want to make sure that the person who is going to sign my paperwork is going to commit to what they claim they want to have happen. So it's a partnership. It's a relationship. And I'm going to hold you accountable because that's what you're paying me to do. But I'm not going to be there to hold your hand. So for me, that presents leverage. And I think coaches who are maybe struggling with their own programs, they need to step back or surround themselves with other people who can help validate that message 
to their players. Make sure they know, hey, we're here together. I want you to grow, but you've got to put in the work. And if you're not, I have to call you out on it. No question. Okay, so Coach Mario, let me jump into dovetail into something you mentioned, yes. which was every organization, every coaching staff for their programs, they need to know what their why is. I have a two-part question for you. Mm-hmm. What are the components to the exercise of finding out your why? That's the first one. So what mm-hmm. is it? How do you do it? And the second thing is, why is the why so important? <laughs> for me, the why exercise tells me how motivated you are. And I'll have sometimes parents say, listen, I need for you to motivate my kid. And I, I stop them right there. And I say, well, I'm not a motivation job. No one is. That has to come from within. I can inspire. I can get them to look at things a little differently. But they have to want to do this. This has to be their journey. And so I think it's real critical for coaches to ask their, the question, why do you want to be a football player for me? Why do you want to be a baseball player for me? Why do you want to be at this institution? What do you expect from me to do for you? Because I'll do everything that I possibly can. But then I need to turn around and ask you, well, why are you going to be willing to pay the price? Why are you going to willing, be willing to get up at 6 in the morning, be in the weight room, and then be showered and have breakfast for an 8 o'clock class, and then spend five hours with me on the field? Because that's what it's going to demand of you in college. You need to know your why. Because that's going to tap into your drive, your fuel, the chip that's not on your shoulder, but the chip that's in your gut that nobody can knock off or can't knock off hopefully easily. When you know that, you become a different person. You lean in a little bit more. You're willing to deal with the distractions of life or sport a lot better than a person who's just kind of on the bubble and is just kind of going through the motions. Why is why important? In business. We have a goal that we review every year. And in some organizations, why you do what you do can mean the difference between success or failure, saving a life or making silly mistakes because you took things for granted that ended up having somebody flatline on the table. So when you know your why, you have a sense of urgency. There's so many boxes that then become checked off that you can now measure and see for your own self what a quality practice looks like, what a quality performance looks like, how I can now measure and track how to become more successful. And the hub of that performance wheel is the why. So we got to know that. Kind of give an overview of the exercise of finding a why for an organization, for a coach, or for a player. So uh, I think you start off by, by getting to know the people in the room. That's part of the culture. So when I come in and I work with a program, one of the first early on meetings I have is I want to get to know everybody. Obviously, I want them to get to know me. You know, who is this crazy guy coming in here all the way from California flying in? Why is coach spending money on this guy? Well, I give them, I share stories with them. This is my journey. This is who I am. This is, these are some of the people I've had the honor and privilege of being asked to work with them. Some of them are pretty well known, but it's not about the name. It's about the journey. And so, I now am invested in who you are and what your journey is. So let's compare what happened at the end of the season and why our season came up short. And now let's talk about what our journey is for this year. What's our goal? And then I deliberately have, I find my seniors, I find my upperclassmen, because I know that there's a wound that's there. There's a scab that hasn't fully healed. And I want to rip it open in that conversation. 
Now, I want to ask them, what was that last game like last year? Let's go back to that moment. And let's talk about why I hope it's still painful. And then let's talk about what you are going to do with that pain to help us in this year's journey move further. So when those kids start talking about not only that experience, and then I have them face the freshmen and the other underclassmen and the returners or the transfers, I then tell them, what do you need from them? That's all part of the discovery of your why. Understanding why you're here. Understanding why these guys need to be leaders. Understanding why we need to work together. Understanding why we need to eliminate or minimize drama. And we need to take ownership of if I'm going to be a leader on this team or if I'm going to call somebody out, I need to be able to call myself out first. Those are all parts of my method to the madness of getting these players to buy in and understand why they're here. And then as we then drift into creating a statement that defines us or a mission statement or even a phrase, some teams have it like, let, leave no doubt or let's show them, little phrases like that. It's a reminder of why we're here, why we show up, what our goal is today for practice, what it is or when I get into the classroom. Those things for me, I think are critical components to success. I think sometimes coaches, we don't know what we don't know. They're not taking care of that muscle and the strategy that happens between the years. No doubt. Well, I think one of the arts of being a great coach is taking, let's say, 100 or 85 and different individuals, unique individuals and from different backgrounds, different circumstances, with various goals and dreams, various levels of commitment mm. to the sport, multiple different levels of belief in themselves, and unfortunately, different levels of buy-in in the program. Yes. And getting them all to run the same direction for a purpose. Yes. And most coaches just think it's going to happen through hard work and, and running and strenuous workouts and things of that nature without ever tapping into the greatest resource they have. <laughs> it's their mind. Yes. So let me ask you about some dysfunction, okay? Okay. So I'm familiar with lots of different situations around the country, and there's one program that they're putting more emphasis on the freshmen than they are the seniors, and they're using the freshmen to intimidate the seniors. And it's an upside-down pyramid. In, in my professional opinion, it doesn't seem sustainable because what's going to happen when that freshman's a senior, he's going to want to be the guy. So share with me your thoughts on a program like that. <laughs> I'm going to assume that's probably more a football mentality than it would be maybe some of the other programs. I'll say that's more of a black and blue model than maybe a white-collar sport model. I don't agree with it because, as you said, you've got so many factors that impact an individual. you got to coach the individual. Now, you want to have a structure. You want to have a system in place. You want to have a philosophy in place. Even in the military, when I work with people in the military, it's not, let me tear you down anymore. We need to get you to have a common denominator, and then we're going to build you up, and we're going to empower you, and you're going to be one of us. Even that has gone through a little bit of an evolution. And this upside-down pyramid model, it doesn't do that. I think it creates more animosity and disdain for those who feel slighted, feel left out. As you go up, at your junior, senior, you should probably not need as much attention as, let's say, the underclassmen do. You should know that. You've been around. 
you're a product of our environment. It doesn't mean we've forgotten about you. In fact, I need for you to lead by example so that the freshman can shadow you. I know I have a kid who is a former client. He played at USC and then got drafted by a team. He was scouted by Pete Carroll. And then Pete Carroll took the job with Seattle, and this kid got picked up by Dallas. Long story short, he got cut by Dallas, and he then got picked up by, by Seattle, and he was brought in. He was a wide receiver in high school, wide receiver in college. And when Pete Carroll got on the phone and called him, he says, hey, I've never forgotten about you. I know how good and how special you were, but I need to know how coachable and adaptable you are. He's like, coach, I'll do anything for you. Are you sure? He said, yes, I need for you to reinvent yourself and go from an offensive player to a defensive player. And I'm going to have you learn under the best safety there is in the game, Richard Sherman. He's like, whatever you need. And so for the next season and a half, he became a sponge. That, to me, is how you build somebody up and you empower them and you build a confidence. It isn't by just saying, hey, we're going to have you. We think you're pretty good, but we just want you to sit on the sidelines. And no one's going to talk to you, but you just got to learn. How do you do that and expect to be successful? Exactly. So to answer your question, I'm not a fan of that model. Okay, I'm not either. Okay, <laughs> so let's go to, we've been talking about coaches and their mindsets and their organization of their program mm -hmm. and how they want to nurture the minds of their players and building rapport, understanding their goals, understanding their journey, understanding what they want to accomplish this season individually as well as as a team, and then creating really a bridge between where they're at and where they want to go as a group and then kind of memorializing it with a motto so everybody can mm -hmm. be reminded. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's what I took from what you just said. Okay. Yes. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not, but that's my that's all part of the machine. Yes. Okay. All right. So now let's shift to looking at individual performer and in pro mindset, I have seven elements that I think you have to have. And if you're missing any one of these, you're not going to be, firing on all cylinders. One is belief in yourself. Two is passion for your sport. Three is your motivation, knowing your why. Four is mm -hmm. you've got to train. You've got to be a work, hard worker. Five is you have to have a lifestyle that's consistent with your dream, with your sport, yes. with your goal. Six is you have to have winning habits. And seven is you have to be able to perform on demand. And so of those, which one pops up to you that you would like to articulate? Is it belief, confidence, your identity, what do you think the secret, if you could only pick one, or if it's something else that you talk about, what is it? And you might have different nomenclature, different ideas, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but what is your secret to success? What's your secret sauce when you're helping an athlete? I'm a huge fan of your first one, belief. You have to believe in you, because if you don't believe in yourself, how in the world are you going to get somebody else to believe in you? When I'm working, this is a speech that I give to my parents when they're asking me in groups, you know, hey, how can I help my kid become more mentally tough? And I tell parents, shut up. Get out of the way. Let them fail. Because failure is a teachable moment. And if we're going to get these kids to be risk takers, if we're going to get them to be resilient and bounce back from a mistake or turnover and get back in the next play, and be gritty and have short-term memory for that mistake, that has to be nurtured at home and in the environment that they play in. But it has to be nurtured at home. We follow the journey of that young athlete to now high school and then college. you got a kid who's maybe not as talented but has confidence oozing out of his pores. 
versus the All-American kid who now is at a major program and everyone's a stud. And he fails, and he's looking around because he knows people are watching him. He's not going to thrive as quickly and is going to need some more coddling as opposed to the kid who I got everything to work for, I've got nothing to lose, and I really don't give a shit about anybody here. I know what I want. I want that kid who believes in them. It's a coachable kid. That no kid is going to be more consistent. So for me, belief is everything. A little side note, I have in my office a series of different trophies, collectibles, things that are kind of near and dear to me. And one of them happens to be a set of gloves from Conor McGregor. I had the privilege of working in the contact sports world for a while. And I remember I went down and I worked with a team down in San Diego and I went in the locker room. I said, do you know who Conor McGregor is? This is a couple of years ago. They're like, yeah, of course we do. I said, who can show me his walk? And we had a freshman come out. He's like, oh, yeah, I can do it, coach. So he gets out there and all, it, it, the kids just go bananas. The coaching staff will crack it up because this was one of the quietest kids on the team. And then all of a sudden he gets out and he becomes a whole, transformed and Long story short, I shared with them the importance of tapping into what that means inside your body. Not the need to go out and, you know, run to second base, similar physiological walk, but with that mental walk. And the coach later told me after that series, that moment turned them around because they actually had a player steal second. And when he went after calling timeout and went to the coach to hand his helmet and gloves, he literally did that walk, and the dugout erupted. It went bananas, and the coach, he was biting his tongue because he was so happy, but he knew he didn't want the other team to feel like they were being showed up, so he had his word to the coach, but he said that was a pivotal moment, not just for the team, but for the coaching staff. It's about making them believe in who they are, and it's much easier when you got a team of a young men or young women who believe in who they are, and know that you believe in them. What is your pit stop for those that need to shift their lack of belief into belief? What do you recommend to athletes when they used to have it, they Mm. experience some failure, Mm -hmm. they're navigating and, and kind of matriculating through that recovery from failure phase so that they can have their mental toughness to be confident again? Well, again, you got kids who think they need to be perfect. Those are the ones who tend to be struggle, who struggle the most. Failure comes with the territory. And depending on the sport, excuse me, baseball, you know, you're going to fail. If you fail seven out of 10 times, you're an all-star. You're getting paid 20 million a year in the show. So it is how you learn to put this, this word failure into its proper context. The higher up you go, the more challenges there are, the more demands there are not just for you as a performer, but also on the outside. So you need to learn how to be able to compartmentalize. You need to learn how to put things in its proper context. You need to not get caught up in the scoreboard statute. You need to get immersed in the things, the process, things that really matter. And there's the young man who I had the privilege of working with last year, he's now with the Mets organization. His confidence and approach at the plate is, I'm one swing away from a hit streak. That's belief. That's confidence. That's understanding, okay, every opportunity, every pitch is a chance to get better. It's to see a little bit more. It's to gather information. That's not, oh, my gosh, they're not going to renew my contract. It's not glasses half empty. It's glasses half full. 
I think optimism is a very powerful word that has to be given on an IV drip every night when an athlete goes home just to remind themselves that the struggle is part of the journey. It is always going to be there. And the real test of who you are as a player is how quickly you recover and how you recover from it. What do you do? Can't let your mind go down this negative Nancy path because then it becomes a road that leads you to this big pit of quicksand and it gets really hard to get out of it. It's short term. Have amnesia for your mistakes. Know what you're trying to work on and be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Because as long as you're putting in the work and quality work, you're asking the right questions, the results will come. And I know it's hard when you're getting yelled at by 30,000 fans every night or reading social media and what people are saying about you. You can't get caught up in that. You can't. I think coaches, really good coaches, remind their athletes, turn that crap off. It's not going to help you. What matters is what we say here in the confines of our stadium, of our locker room, of our practice. What other people say, no, tune that stuff off. Okay, so let's apply this to football. Mm -hmm. One swing away from starting starting a hitting streak. In football, what pops in your head? Whether it's a defensive player, quarterback, receiver, running back, it doesn't matter. Oh, I misread. I watched the quarterback's eyes and (laughs) – I bid on the fake, and they just scored a touchdown on me. We were winning. They're making a ridiculous comeback, and now they've taken the lead. I feel all the pressure on me. I'm the safety or I'm the middle linebacker. Or now that the entire defensive squad is just getting ripped on the sidelines. You have to have short-term memory for that, quote-unquote, mistake, that chance you took. Because eight out of ten times, you made that same play, and you returned it for 30 yards, or you returned it for a touchdown. So does that mean that one error in judgment defines who you are as a player? Maybe in the minds of fans, but again, that can't be your measurement stick. you got to come back, sit down. I tell them you need to have a routine. You can sit and you can be inventive and come up with all kinds of curse words, but from the time that moment happens to the time you get to the sideline. But once you get to the sideline, you sit your butt down, you gather as a group, you listen to what the coaches are giving you relative to feedback and information, it's got to be gone. Because hopefully you're going to get another chance and you know that you should have the confidence that I'm one play away from an interception, one play away from creating a turnover. I'm one play away from making it happen. That's how you have to think in today's athletic world. Those are the special players. You're not defined by one mistake, by one play. You build a body of work. Yep. Okay. Since belief and confidence was your the one that tickled your fancy the most, mm-hmm. the one that you think professionally means the most, let's go through a couple different situations. I'll start with the first one. You have a guy that's drafted by the NFL. He's a rookie. He's going into training camp as a 20, 21, 22, 23-year-old rookie. Mm-hmm. And he's competing against 27, 30, 33-year-old men that have wives and kids and mortgages and <laughs> all these obligations. And the rookie might be making minimum, and the veteran might be making eight figures. How do you coach and recommend a young player in that situation to mentally attack that opportunity? One more ad. He's not a first-rounder. He's not going to okay. get a red shirt year. He's not going to, they're not going to roll the red carpet out for him. 
there's 90 players in camp, and at the end of camp, there's only going to be 53 left standing. And he's not in a position of leverage. He's a position of fifth rounder, seventh rounder, or undrafted. So he's praying that he's just going to make special teams. <laughs> he's hoping he's just going to get on he, a roster. He wants to be on the roster so he can make 610000 and start building his career. Uh, well, I'm – wow. Okay, first off, that's probably not going to happen if he's that far back. He's got to make his expectations realistic. So I'm going to sit and I'm going to talk to that man and I'm going to say, hey, what was it that made you really good in college? What made you stand out? What made you get noticed? You need to focus on your assets, your strengths. Let's look at a balance sheet. You know, you got a savings account. Don't put anything in. You can't make any withdrawals. And most of the time when we look at ourselves and our performance, we're always quick to point out, especially those who are really good, they're always quick to point out what they did wrong. But that's not a great way to build your confidence or your belief. How about we start focusing on, let's talk about what makes you really good. Because sometimes we need a reminder. Again, coming back to belief. If I got two athletes going at each other, I want the one who really believes in themselves and is hungry. So knowing what makes you good and then tapping into that why, which leads to our hunger. How hungry are you? Because in football, I need for you to be hangry, hungry and angry. And yes. if you understand the formula for creating that inventory, if you will, you can go to that and you can meditate on it. You can look at it kind of like a goal sheet and remind yourself, okay, these are the tools that God gave me to this point, and this is my arsenal. I need to choose. Am I going to go in and I'm going to fight and use every bit of this, or am I going to look at my arsenal and say, and I'm going to compare it to what the other guy over there has and say, wow, his gun's bigger, his bullets are bigger. No, it's not about what they do because they may have a great arsenal, but if they don't use it or know how to use it, well, then now things are neutralized, and you don't have any control of what that other person does. What you have control of is how you show up, how much of you you show up with, and to what level are you playing hangry. And if you can give me a consistent 8 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10, you're going to find a spot on this roster. That is where you need to put your goal at. That's where we all need to agree. That's, that's the first stopping point. That's our first pit stop. Once we accomplish that, then we will have a better sense of what are the paths we can take to get you on the 53-man roster. Because you're not going to make 600K right now. If you're this far back, unless you were a hidden talent, you know, the Jerry Rice who was, you know, with a small school and they weren't sure, unless you've got something like that, you've got to make your name. You've got to build yourself. You've got to understand the environment and the culture. Get used to it. And then learn, once you've learned how to play the game, learn how to master it. Find your role, find your niche, and then, unlike anyone ever been looked at, commit with an intensity that is undeniable. That's how you make that money. That's how you can have a career and sustain it so that you can change the cycle of poverty if that's the case and provide for your family and generations of your family. Because that's the dream for all these kids. And, I, man, it's honorable. I so, I so get it alluding to in the beginning, I think sometimes as coaches, we get caught up in the winds because it becomes our ego. Now, every one of these kids, man or woman, they have a dream. And it's up to us as coaches to know what that dream is. Because that's when you really get to know the person. And then as a coach, here's the critical thing. You get to know what their hot buttons are so that over time, you can 
push that button in the right moment to get the result or the rise that you need out of that person. I'm taking notes. <laughs> well, one of the things that I think is critical, and you talked about it before, is are you coaching one or are you coaching them all? And the answer is both. Yes. But if you know the hot buttons for each one, in addition to the common message, you can send a personal message to the guys that fit the certain hot buttons. Yes, yes. And as a staff, you need to meet and sit down and talk and share what common knowledge you have of a player because you can't be everything to everyone and you can't know everything that's going on. But if you have those weekly staff meetings where we're just going to talk, some programs, it's daily. I need to know so-and-so is going through some turmoil. He just broke up with his girlfriend or his grandmother's in the hospital. You need to know those things because if you do, now you can be a little bit, you can adapt and adjust what your message is to them. Hey, give them the day off. Rashawn, come over here, man. I want to talk to you. But you put your arm around them. Now you're really coaching. It's not about X's and O's. It's about the X's and O's of life. That's yes. when you build a relationship that is long-lasting and supersedes sport. Yes, I agree with that one. Build a relationship with your players by knowing the X's and O's of their life. Yes. Yeah. In my world, that's one of the things that separates me from my peers. I'm not just about getting you to a championship level. I'm about hopefully trying to find balance. And that has really been key with my work with first responders because I equate them as elite performers. I equate them as special as anyone in a uniform, regardless of where they play. And the demands on their world are as great, if not greater. Their wins and losses of life as opposed to a win and loss in sport. And so for many of them, they're so intensely focused on their work, as most performers should be, but then they forget to turn it off and they bring that work home. And that's where you see a tremendous imbalance and a disservice. And so I know that one of your things is lifestyle commitment. Yes. Everything you do should feed what it is you want to do. What you say, one, there's a rest and recovery period that has to happen, both from a physical and an emotional and a spiritual and a mental standpoint. You got to be able to when you're working out, you know, you've got microfiber tears happening in the muscle. And if you just keep lifting, lifting, you don't allow rest and recovery nutrition, that muscle's not going to grow. That's the way it should. I think that's also the case with us as human beings. So when you take the uniform off, you go home. You need to be home. I don't want you thinking about your sport. It'll, it, it's there. It'll be waiting for you. But when your little kid says, hey, daddy, can you watch me build this puzzle? And your mind's wandering about the interception that you didn't get or the fumble play, or the you had a really crappy practice, well, no, that's not the time for it. Now you're holding on to stuff you don't need to. That becomes emotional baggage. The more present you learn to become, the healthier you become. The healthier the person, the healthier the player, the more resilient. And so now it gets back to that idea of, all right, how long do you allow yourself to hold on to that mistake? Well, by the time you get from the end zone to the sidelines, it's got to be done because you've got another play. There may be a turnover fumble, and now, oh, shit, I can't have less than 30 seconds. We're back on the field. You can still hold on to that mistake? Sometimes in football you have less than 30 seconds between plays, and you're the reason why, let's say your defensive player, you miss a tackle, they get a first down, and you were trying to get them off the field, and everybody's disappointed. you got to line up and play again. You, exactly. And the same goes for coaching. All right, you're going to sit there, and instead of coaching now 
and being present, you're going to sit and you're going to continue ripping this guy a new one. You just, you're missing the opportunity. Let whoever is in charge of that person, let them handle it. You'll remember if you need to say something to them in the locker room, but we need to be able to say, okay, come on, guys. I believe in you. Next play. Next play. That has to be a lifestyle message. No question. Okay, Coach Mario, I have one more question about a, an issue that I wanted to get your feedback on. And mm-hmm. Every so often you're in a championship game or you're in a game that determines whether you're going to get a chance to go to the playoffs or go to the championship game, and then you're at the championship game. With the media and parents and fans, even teammates, sometimes players choke when they get in a big game and they need to make a big play. What is different about a big game, and how do you prepare players so that they can execute on every play? Great story in the baseball world. Augie Garrido, the former great Hall of Fame coach, Cal State Fullerton, University of Texas, they were going to Omaha. I don't know if it was his first year, first championship win, or, or one of the many trips, and he could read the pulse of the room. He could tell the players they're pulling into the stadium and their jaws dropped. Kids are a little nervous. They're quiet. So he asked the bus driver to step out, close the door, and he stands in the middle of the bus and he drops his shorts, drops his, his trousers, and he just looks and pulls them back up. And he says, whew, I was, uh, you know, just checking to make sure I didn't poop on myself. Oh, and funny. that let off that, you know, let off that sigh of relief and laughter. And the message was, we're all a little nervous. It's okay. It's normal. You want to know why? Because we care. But when we step out of here and we get out of this bus and we step on the field, the dynamics, the dimensions are all the same. Kind of like that Hoosiers moment with Gene Hackman. to measure the basketball goal from floor to the rim. You got to treat it as still the same. another game. It's still the same. It cannot be looked at as the big one. And I know that's easier said than done, especially if you go to the Super Bowl. You got more distractions because people and family members want to hit you up for tickets. It's chaos. That's why the teams kind of seclude themselves. You have to be able to protect yourself in this little bubble so that you remind yourself, do the same routines, do the same thing over and over again, same rituals. We're just there to play a game. We focus on what we have control of, and whatever else happens, happens. But we're all going to be nervous, so let's not fight it. Let's deal with it. Let's get lost in what we know how to do and prepare the right way so that come first pitch, come that first hike, that first snap, we're good to go. So that's typically what happens. After the first inning, first series of plays, the nerves are gone, and turnovers start to decrease because our adrenaline settles in and we're more present. So you have to practice that. That's why intensity and practice matters, makes a difference. Trying to make everything competitive makes a difference so that when you're fortunate enough to experience a championship game, one of you know immense magnitude and you've got thousands of people watching, you can treat it as if oh, I've been here before. Now, there's other things you can do too, but that's in a nutshell, that's what you need to do to make that moment not unique, but normal. Gotcha. Well, Coach Mario, I want to thank you today for being on Pro Mindset. You shared a lot of different things, especially about belief and confidence. I want to thank you very much. And just for our listeners, here's what I want to do. I want you to mention again on social media your handle so that people can find you. 
you can find me at Mario Sports Doc, and that's also my personal email at MarioSportsDoc at gmail.com. I'd love to get anyone's feedback or questions. Tell me what you took away from this. I can share it with my graduate students. I'm, I also teach at Cal Baptist University. I teach a sports psychology graduate program there. And then on uh, social media, it's Mario Sports Doc on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and whatever else might be out there. Love to connect with any of your audience and, and love to hear what they took away from this. I hope it was helpful. Well, thank you very much. All right, have a great day. Thank you. You do the same. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pro Mindset. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can follow us on our website, promindsetpodcast.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Pro Mindset Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you the next time. Up. Here we go, here we go. <laughs> Up here with your crew in an awesome view. Everything that love stack right in front of you. Got your icon pass, power slash it. Huh, 50 plus destinations. Speaking of, did you get your icon pass yet, Sean? I'm on iconpass.com dropping in right now. Wow, from just $2.59 adult? Everyone knows you get the best price in the spring. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Okay, done. So pass the good stuff. Yeah, it's the good stuff. Woo! Some people might say coffee doesn't need chocolate, but you're not some people. You're a dreamer. You see the possibilities of chocolate and caramel flavors swirling together with cold brew, topped with velvety chocolate cold foam and cocoa caramel crumbles. That imagination can only be rewarded with Dunkin's new caramel chocolate cold brew. It's a cold brew dream come true. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply.